Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. I just got off a broadcast with Joel Webbin, and we talked about this issue of the Nashville school shooting, the reactions to it, the moment we're in. And I wanted to share some thoughts with you that I was thinking during that interview, but also things that I was thinking earlier this morning that uh, I think need to be shared. We need to have a discussion about the framing of this, how we discuss this, the, the way that Christians on the more left side of the aisle are posturing themselves right now on the issue of guns and transgenderism. Uh, and and we, and we need to strategize a little bit, I, I think. Uh, how are we supposed to, as Christians, react to this? And there, there's probably several reactions depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in, but uh, I am blown away by some of the capitulation I'm seeing out there, and I'm going to share some of that with you. Uh, hopefully end on a good note, though, because I want to share with you an example of someone who I think did a very good job uh, with uh, this on this, uh, at least the issue of guns. So um, we're going to start. Let's see. I have so many stories to share with you. It's incredible how many stories. <laughs> I don't know if we'll get to all of them. So we're going to start uh, with a few mainstream uh, left-leaning news stories and how this whole thing's being framed. And you you tell me if you think that these stories uh, reflect the way that the mainstream media responds when the shooters, the shooting and the victims and the shooter are different identities. So here, let's see if I can make this better. Here's uh, the independent uh, I guess it's, is that the Guardian? I get, no, the independent dot, uh, independent co dot UK. So this is United Kingdom. This isn't uh, an American mainstream news website. This is uh, the independent. And this is the headline. Ready? GOP lawmakers and far right figures seize on Nashville shooting to push dangerous anti-trans rhetoric. Dangerous. I guess I'd be in that. Dangerous anti uh, trans rhetoric, according to Alex Woodward at The Independent in New York. That's where he is. Uh, here's another headline for you. Washington Post. So this is American. Nashville shooting exploited by right to create or escalate anti-trans rhetoric. Similar headline in Vanity Fair. The right will blame school shootings on literally anything other than guns. Where's the focus of all this? The focus is on Christians. Well, not specifically Christians. It's the far right, right? 
but it's people who would hold to Christian understandings on gender sexuality who might want to protect themselves with guns and they're, they're not, they don't blame the gun. They think, think personal responsibility means you blame the person, not the gun. People with just a basic under, Christian understanding, really, they're crazy now. They're far right. That's that's the mainstream's word for crazy, far right. Uh, they are, they're, they're nutcases. That, they're the real threat. They're the real threat. I know it was a transgender person who went and shot up this school, which normally, right, what happens is if it's uh, an identity that's in, in the oppressor category, according to the social justice standards, uh, everyone has shared responsibility. If it's a white shooter, it doesn't matter what the motive is. Uh, all white people are to blame. Or if it's a policeman, all the policemen are all to blame. There's like a shared responsibility. Not in this case, though. Not in this case, because now it's it's the gun. The gun is where we must focus. And if you don't focus on the gun, and if you maybe just happen to uh, see what the police chief there in Nashville said about the incident, and you think to yourself, hmm, seems like this person might have had an axe to grind with Christianity. You, you're on the far right. So should we expect this from the, the quote unquote mainstream? I think we probably should as Christians. I'm not saying this to get you riled up or angry or anything like that. I just think you should know, uh, maybe some of you don't need the reminder that the world and, and, and in this case, the left in, in, in the world, they do not like Christians. And they do not like people that even might not be Christians, but support Christian values of some kind. And they will target you even when you have been targeted. Your group, your people have been targeted, but it, it's it's a reverse victim move. Uh, it is a way to shore up the, the intersectional standards of victimhood that rigidly exist in our world. Where if you're a, a white Christian male, I mean, that is the worst of, of the worst. That is the most oppressive thing you can possibly be. And those, and we're not going to move that for anyone, even when the tragedy is, uh, in, in this case, there was, actually, there was a black teacher who died and, and children. I mean, I thought ageism was a thing, right? Um, but transgenderism, that, that's also, really, that's really high up on that intersectional scale. And so they, they must preserve their ideology their scale, their way of judging situations. And, and you can see it come out. I mean, it's it's like uh, it, you could have predicted it. Now, in the face of all of this opposition, what do you think the people who are Christians, who have somewhat of an influence in the mainstream, what do you think they're saying? What do you think David French is saying? Well, here's the New York Times opinion piece. David French, in the face of tragedy, petitioning God is an act of faith. Is that true? Sure. Um, it, it, and on the, I think if, if you weren't maybe coming with an understanding of David French and the moment we're living in, you would think maybe this is a really good piece that we're about to read and, and serves a good function. I will submit to you that something else is going on here, though. In the face of tragedy, petitioning God is an act of faith. David French starts off. I'm not going to read it for you because we have a lot to get to, but I'll summarize some of this. He starts off. Uh, with really an emotional uh, appeal here that th what happened was terrible and it, it impacted people, including himself emotionally. And this is the time that you go to the Lord in prayer. And I 100% agree with that. 
But look at the way he frames this. Number one, what's missing from this article? What's missing is there is no connection to the larger battle that's going on, as, as we even saw this morning in Kentucky, how you had the uh, Kentucky legislature. Uh, there were um, transgender, pro-transgender activists who came in. One looked satanic. Uh, and I mean, this is happening right in our right now in the news cycle. And th there is opposition to Christians and their views on sexuality and gender. Strong opposition. And and this, you would think, being in the news cycle, this would still be part of that. Uh, knowing the what we do know and what has been in, uh, presumed about the, uh, the shooter, I think reasonably so. Uh, they won't release the manifesto. They haven't yet. David French doesn't make mention of those things. That's not part of the article. In fact, he... Uh, the way he justifies prayer, this is very similar to the way Tim Keller actually talks about not just prayer, but the existence of the church. When, when you're presenting to the world that the church is worthwhile, that the church should continue to exist, that you should support the church, leave the church alone, the church isn't harming anyone, what do you say? Hey, the church is also behind social justice. The church is a positive force in the community. And, and it may be true that the church is a positive force for good in the community, but that's not what justifies the church's existence. That's not why the church should remain uh, unmolested. And David French does something similar with prayer here. Uh, David French, uh, he, I'm trying to, I should have actually had it <laughs> highlighted. I don't have it highlighted. Uh, I'm going to look for the exact sentence. Um, he says that petitioning God changes us. It changes others. Confronting an immense tragedy can make us feel small. So this is an apologetic for prayer. It can make us feel helpless. How do you uh, comfort a community in pain? How do you respond to parents who lost a child? Um, he goes through all these questions. There's more of them. For the faithful believer, here's the key. Prayer isn't a substitute for action. It's a prerequisite for action. It grounds us before we move to serve others. It grounds us before we speak in the public square. So in other words, prayer is justifiable, New York Times, because it's it's the prerequisite. It's what spurs us to act. That's that's one of the and I I think that's the primary argument he's making in this. Now he then he he says the necessary thing that you should say uh, in the New York Times uh, to, to, and really trying to please both sides. I guess you know I in general I'm an advocate for gun rights. I'm a gun owner. My family has received years of ugly threats from the Trumpist right, and I'm keenly aware of the need for self defense. Right, that's where the threat comes from. But I I've also called for red flag laws that permit the police to seize weapons and prevent weapons purchases when people demonstrate that they're a threat to themselves or others. While the investigation is still in its infancy, there's emerging evidence that if Tennessee had a red flag law, the covenant uh, assailants, parents, and law enforcement may have been able to prevent the shooting. By the way, uh, I was conversing with someone earlier this morning in Tennessee on this point, and they're pretty convinced, I don't know if this will come out or when it will, that actually it may be because of the transgender identity factor here that this person was uh, uh, not put on a list that would have pre prevented them from purchasing firearms. Um, I don't quote me on it because that that hasn't been analyzed extensively in the public square yet. And uh, that information, I don't think is available. But um, there, there seemed to be some indication that that might be the case. But either way, he's saying red flag, flag laws, more laws would have prevented this. I've grown app appalled as parts of the gun rights movement have veered into embracing a form of gun idolatry. That's right or gun fetish that treats a gun as a quasi-sacred object. 
Uh, he talks about a representative in Congress who posed in a campaign uh, picture with an AR-15. Um, uh, I don't think for a moment that prayer is the only response to tragedy, but for me and millions of others, it is a necessary response. So this is he's justifying prayer while taking a whack at the, the gun lobby as if they're partially responsible for this, sidestepping the whole transgender you know, angle to this. Uh, as if that's not a, really a factor and the anti-Christian stuff, not really like who is actually targeted here. And, and, and this is what you get from David French. This is, um, this is pathetic in my mind. And it totally misses uh, the moment that we're in. Now, there is a clip going around. This has not been since the particular incident, but this is uh, a, a clip going around that happened. I think this was filmed earlier in the month. And I don't think I can play for you the entire clip just because there's some profanity at the end here. But this is John Stewart. Uh, interviewing a Republican statesman in, I believe it's Tennessee. And um, I'm going to play for you part of this. And then I want to show you how this is actually the same exact thing we're getting from some on the evangelical left on some of these very questions. And so uh, let, let's play that, uh, if I can pull it up here. And drag show readings to children. To my house, yes. Why? Why, why, what are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh -huh. in certain instances to What's protect the children. leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. Okay, now he, he uses some profanity, and I try to avoid that on the show. So we're not going to um, go through the profanity. But I want to examine this argument just a little bit. And I want to first show you, though, that this is no different than things that Phil Vischer has said, uh, creator of VeggieTales, Holy Post podcast. So this is someone on the says he's an evangelical. but on the progressive side, he says, you never, and he's talking to, it's his response to William Wolf. I'm not sure whether the initial tweet is deleted, but he says, um, and, and I, I'm, a, I think this is a tweet from William Wolf. He's responding to, or William Wolf is, uh, saying something against the transgender agenda or drag queen story hour or something. And, and Phil Vischer says, you never mentioned gun control, uh, 45,000 kids, which is an exaggeration. It's not that many, but it is high died last year from bullet wounds. Drag queen story time didn't kill nearly that many. That's the same exact argument. And he's making it before actually John Stewart, I think, made it. So th this is this is going on there. He says this uh, something similar here. He says, uh, and this is uh, in 2022. So this is a year ago. But he said there's an argument to be made that America's gun culture is sacrificing children, just as there is an argument to be made that America's abortion culture is sacrificing children. A biblical view would see the truth in both positions. Well, what's the what's the underlying assumption here? Here's another one. This is uh, John Stark, who says he is a pastor. Let's see. I'm not sure exactly what Apostles Uptown is. That must be his church. Uh, he's published with InterVarsity Press in Zondervan, so lives in Manhattan, New York. So this is someone with, uh, I suppose, some um, some level of platforming in evangelical industries. And he says, I'm not a legal expert. Nor am I an expert on the gun industry, but as a pastor 
It sure feels like we are willing to sacrifice our children in order to satisfy some cultural idol down with all the Moloch. So now it's a Moloch. It is false worship. It is in the same category as the children of Israel sacrificing their kids to fault to demons. If you are pro-gun, we're willing, and this is the whole context. March 29th is when he posted this. So defending the right to keep and bear arms in this moment where it's being attacked, that is just like sacrificing your kids to Moloch. Now, there, I have some stats pulled up and other things to talk about, but I really want to just hone in on some, some just assumptions here, some just philosophical things, I suppose, for a moment. Uh, the reason the John Stewart thing kind of works and people think it's this, oh, it's this big own is because we are now a, a culture with a, an attention span of two seconds. At least if you're involved in social media, Twitter, especially your attention span is gone. Uh, if, if that's w what you're, that's why I say, even if you're on Twitter, just be careful how much time you put there, read some books, do long form thinking. John Stewart can, in a few sound bites, you know, destroy the argument. I don't remember. I don't know who the name of the guy is on the other side, but the, the GOP congressman by by doing kind of a sleight of hand here. What he does is he conflates categories. He says that um, and, and he assumes that guns uh, that his solution for gun control is the only solution for gun control, that the left's uh, solution is the only solution. And if you don't accept their solution, then you must not care about gun control or murders that happen with guns or suicides that happen with guns. So, so there's there's a number of assumptions. So that's the first one uh, that if if you really care about gun control, you'll accept our solutions and you'll regulate them the way we want them regulated, paying paying no attention to what the numbers actually are, how complicated this issue actually is. Even if that's the agenda, is more guns or less guns going to do it? Um, there there's some some uh, maybe I'll read it to you if I have time, but there's some stats I want to share with you that that seem to indicate that yes, you can point to some European countries where the gun ownership is much less and there's also less shootings. And you can also point to countries, uh, namely in Central and South America, where the violence and the shooting is far exceeds um, America's violence and shooting. And even in some of those countries, there's less gun ownership. What do, you, what do you make of that? What do you make of that is it's a cultural thing because this is the Christian assumption that it's not guns who, the guns are tools. Guns do not kill people. People kill people. A gun is a tool. And in this case, guns were used in a very constructive, well, not constructive, but destructive. They're always destructive, but they were used in a very uh, appropriate way in putting down someone who was murdering others. That was a gun. That was a tool that was used in this case. Uh, but it was the person behind the gun that knew how to rightly use the gun and had the character necessary for using the gun. And our problem today is in many areas uh, across this country, especially areas that aren't rural, where guns are part of the actual culture. Gun culture is not the problem because the people raised in it are they know to respect it, just like cars aren't the problem. The people that are trained properly and value and, and understand uh, what they're actually driving, they're not the problem. It's it's the people who abuse those things that are the problem every single time. That's why we have more sh uh, killings and shootings now in a society that uh, used, it used to be more prevalent for people to own firearms. They might have owned less because some of the gun, you know, people that are really into guns might have 200 guns. I mean, I, I kid you not. I know people, uh, I have met people that had like two or 300 guns and I'm thinking, why? 
<laughs> why do you need that many? But hey, if that's your thing, if you like to do that, if you if you're a collector, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but so so often people cite the stat that like, oh, there's more guns now than ever. Well, it's not that more people own guns though per capita. It used to be more people owned guns per capita and were used to using guns. You, you'd even high school programs, uh, you could do shooting classes and so forth. Um, it's not the case anymore at all. But you had less school shootings. School shootings are a, a fairly recent phenomenon. You have to account for that. Why? It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. It's even the reason why in certain areas of the country there's more deaths because of guns. And oftentimes the South gets painted as it's, the, it's in the South. It's in the gun culture. I would just encourage you find a county by county map, see where this is actually happening across the country, and you will find it is certain demographics more than others. Uh, in fact, in, in the state of Mississippi, to pick one example, if you go to a map of the state of Mississippi of violent crimes, you will see that a big chunk of the state is on is way low on that um, violent, violent crimes uh, per capita. Um, and then there's parts of the state that are excessively high. It's because of the demographics of those particular areas. They're different. Um, I, I don't know. To me, I shouldn't. This shouldn't have to be something that needs to be explained. This is kind of common sense things in my mind. That's just cultures are different, and uh, it's that may also determine how firearms are handled. But these are the kinds of things that have to be brought up uh, because the attempt right now is to take guns away from law-abiding citizens who, more than ever now, need them to protect themselves against. The crazy people who get a hold of guns or the evil people who get a hold of guns or the combination of the two, which is the worst. Um, so let's <laughs> man, I, I need to, to probably uh, uh, cool off for just a moment uh, and we'll get into some stats and, and maybe some other things because I'm, I'm only a third through my stack of stuff here. Let's look at some of the comments. Uh, John Stewart. Oh, that's not the one I wanted to bring up. Here it is. John Stewart supports guns. He is a hypocrite to say otherwise. What he doesn't support is people having guns who he disagrees with. Yeah, I'm sure John Stewart has great security, as most celebrities do. Um, why is the primary informer of the culture that leads to more violence in certain, uh, I think it's counties, country, countries, counties? What is the primary informer of the culture? That's a, that's a good question. And I don't know. I think it's complicated, actually. I think um, a lot of it has to do with uh, religious training. And whether or not someone is taught to respect life at early ages, I think that's part of it. Um, I, th I think there's a number of factors to it. Uh, someone said that, um, let's see, that's the one. Miss Louisiana and Mississippi have crazy high murder rates. Uh, yes, uh, that is true. But it's not across the entire state. And then I, I, pull, I wasn't planning on pulling this up, but I already did. Demographics equals race. Just be honest about it already. Well, it's not you can't simplify it into just that category. Yes, race in the sense that um, uh, people of certain cultures and uh, ethnicities and all that come along with that uh, are going to behave differently on different things and firearms and being one of those things. Uh, there's some truth to that, but it's not the only thing. Um, you can look at uh, you know white people in West Virginia, let's say, and compare them to white people, let's say in Massachusetts. They're both white now, but they're Scotch Irish people. So maybe that's different in, in racial terms too, in a way. But the people in West Virginia who are more Scotch Irish uh, may be more willing to handle things on their own in rural areas when there's a problem. They're not calling the police as much as they are because it's been ingrained in their culture for so many years to handle things themselves. So that it's a cultural thing that can lead to some of this. Um, 
All right. So I, I probably just need to <laughs> continue on. Looks like there's a there's a lot of uh, comments on the, the gun issue. Um, let's look up some stats on this. Uh, I and just real quick here. This is the Pew Research Center, and this is would be left leaning. I would I would imagine here. Uh, they are not uh, your bastion of conservative thinking. So why bring them up, John? Well, I, I sometimes do that just to show you that even the, the left-leaning outlets, uh, when they are grounded in some kind of, uh, they, they have to try to be grounded at least and have them in, in statistics. And I, I don't think Pew is that bad, actually. Uh, they, they have to give you something that resembles the, the situation we're looking at. They can't just suspend reality like MSNBC is likely to do. How many people die from gun-related injuries in the U.S.? A lot of people. Uh, 45,222 people died from gun-related injuries in the U.S. in 2020. Now, 2020, that's that's a year that is probably a lot higher because we know what happened in 2020. But if you look at the, the graph here, uh, suicides accounted for more than half of U.S. gun deaths in 2020. More than half, 54% were suicides. They weren't homicides. That That's interesting. That says you're... There might be some deeper things because because automatically here with with murders, you can imagine a scenario where it's uh, stealing, it's uh, revenge, it's uh, uh, justice wasn't served. I'm going to go do it as a vigilante and, and they commit murder with suicide, though, and it, you know, and there could be mental it, mental health uh, related uh, issues uh, uh, that you know, and medication and all kinds of things, chemical issues that can maybe be factors in, um, in lessening a person's restraint so that they go and do something like that. But when it comes to something like suicide, there's automatically a mental illness. Or to use a biblical category, uh, there's, a, there's a sin. There's a, there's a, not that there's not in murder, but there's a um, underlying uh, lies that someone is believing on a very deep level that devalues life, that is a... Um, an attack on the creator promotes a, uh, a harm to oneself in the ultimate rejection of the life that God has given that, that person. It's, uh, it's a level of being unwell that, um, some, you know, you, people who murder are often unwell too, but suicide is, it, there, there is always that way, right? There's always a, a deep depression, a deep problem. And that says there's something going on in our culture. We didn't have suicides like this years ago. It's rising. Guns is just one of the ways that it happens, but it people don't need guns to commit suicide. In, ja in Japan, they're hanging themselves, right? And they, they have very restrictive gun laws in Japan. In fact, when I was in Hawaii, I remember Hawaii is a very liberal state, but there's advertisements everywhere because Japanese would come to Hawaii that they could go shoot real machine guns. Uh, and that was exciting because they couldn't in Japan. But guess what? Their suicide rates are really high. So suicide, is that going to change when you get rid of guns? No, but it's just in our culture. That's uh, one of the chosen methods. What share of U.S. gun deaths are murders and what share of suicides? Uh, let's see. What share of all murders and suicides in the U.S. involve a gun? Nearly eight in 10. So it's part of our the fabric of our culture is guns are, are the primary tool used. But again, they're a tool. How has the number of U.S. Uh, gun deaths changed over time? Now, this is an interesting question. The um, number has gone up, but the rate has gone down. And this is very important. The number has gone up because population increases. The rate has gone down. And you say, well, there's been more guns, though. More people are buying guns. And, 
and the rates going down. How does that work? The gun, the anti-gun lobby has to make sense of that. They often like to, to cite the rate but or the, uh, the number, but they don't like to cite the rate. And that's something you have to take into account. Um, which state have the have the highest and lowest death rates in, in the U.S.? Uh, I couldn't find all the info on this that I wanted to find in the time I had, but Mississippi, you'll see, is among the highest here. And I have uh, before me, if I can pull this up, I wasn't actually thinking I was going to pull this. Let me just try really quick to see if I can pull this up. If not, I'll just explain it uh, to everyone out there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it up in time. Let me just explain what I'm looking at uh, for you. I'm looking at a PowerPoint that I put together in an, an episode from a while back. Uh, the episode, it was about a year ago, and I, it was about the Bible Belt. And um, I was responding to someone who was saying, everything's worse than the Bible Belt. And one of the factors was there's more, there's, there's more drugs, there's more crime, there's more, and there's more murder. If you look at the state of Mississippi for crime and homicide by county, you will find that about half the state is in the white and the white is uh, well, the whites there, there's really, there's no data. So, which most likely means it's so low that it's not even, it's, it's, it's not an important factor. Um, a, a, like a third of the state is a lower shade of, it's like a lighter shade of, of, uh, red and, and, or yellow. And, and then there's, uh, like a few little dots, <laughs> Uh, the, the, you can almost see like a belt running through the state of Mississippi where it's much higher. And the same thing, it's along the Mississippi River you see uh, in Tennessee where it's way higher, right? Alabama, same thing, way higher in certain areas and not in other areas. And um, I pointed out at the time that th there, there's many ways that you could look at this data. You could say that there's it's a cultural thing, that there, uh, the demographics who live in those particular areas are... Um, it's ingrained in their culture more to commit acts of violence. Uh, you could say that um, it's a it's a religious thing as well, because these areas where the violence is uh, is more so uh, the people who are there tend to belong to different denominations than in other areas. You could say as for the, you could say the whole South, if you wanted to say it this way, well, they're just not Catholic or something. And the Catholics tend to be less violent or something. That doesn't hold up, though, for areas like Chicago and New York necessarily. So it it's a complicated um, it's a complicated thing. And oftentimes this gets just reduced down to, well, if it's a conservative state with gun laws that aren't very re restrictive, then it, there's going to be uh, more violence. Well, you can only use certain states uh, for that that have certain demographics because you go out to the, the western states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Idaho, especially one of the lowest. And they have very um, unrestrictive or, or uh, more permissive gun laws. So it doesn't work that way. It doesn't hold true. Culture is the element that uh, will define whether or not there are more murders, more than the restrictions on guns, the level of restrictions. This is just, it should be obvious, but it's not to the left. And so that's why I feel like, um, it is important to remind everyone of that. All right, let's go back to, uh, oh, actually, I was able to, I didn't realize this. Okay, so you can kind of see it here. Here's the map that I was looking at. There you go. For those who want to see that. Oh, I just lost it. Okay, uh, let's go back to um, some of these 
news stories here. So um, that was really the main thing I wanted to, to uh, take out of this. Uh, the number of mass shootings is going up quite a bit, right? The num the, the uh, mass shootings themselves, this uh, especially in schools and so forth, public areas, that is going up. Is it because of guns, though? Is it because gun you would you would? It's not keeping rate with the amount of guns, even if there's an increase in the amount of guns. It's not keeping rate with that. It's it's skyrocketing. It's a culture thing. Something is happening in our culture, and I'll and I'll get to analyzing what that might be. Uh, in a moment. William Wolf, I just want to let you know, I mentioned him before, but he wrote a great piece for the Freedom Center at Liberty University, uh, Biblical Worldview, Gun Violence in America. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically his argument here is that, look, the Bible, if you just want to be biblical about this, the blame is not going to be the tool. It's going to be the evil heart. And this is just the Christian understanding. And I would submit to you that is the reason that political conservatives blame people and not guns for these kinds of incidents because they are still operating whether they know it or not based upon a Christian worldview. So thankful for William Wolf uh, driving that point home. Now there is, um, if you want to talk about contributing and underlying factors, which the left often wants to do when there's a police shooting, right? It's these underlying factors of systemic racism that go back hundreds of years and we need to revamp all the police departments. And it is, you're not paying attention to the underlying factors that lead to these things, right? They like to go to underlying factors, but they shy away from that kind of thinking when it comes to something like the shooting that just happened. If uh, there's a study, and we don't have a lot of numbers and information on this, but there is a study that came out uh, from uh, Canada, uh, and it suggests uh, in there, I'm trying to find the actual section here. I had it pulled up for Joel Webin. Um, it. In the study itself, it says that those who were, uh, let me look for it, transgender, there it is, transgender and gender diverse students reported higher support for violence compared to students who identified as women. Second generation immigrant students reported greater support for violence compared to third generation immigrant and non-immigrant students. So those who have not integrated as much, who are newer arrivals, uh, more violence, those who are transgender, more support for violence, uh, older students, religious students, and uh, I don't know what a francophone student is, francophone students had lower levels of support for violence compared to those who were younger, did not identify as having a religious affiliation and were anglophone, anglophone? Does that mean, is that why? Oh, Frank, which is French. Ah, I got it now. It's Canada. Okay. So um, French students had lower levels than those who were uh, English. So, um, so, so being religious, religious is an interesting factor in this because it, you're less likely, according to this study, to commit, uh, to be in support of, uh, violence if you are religious and you're more likely if you are transgender, how about that? Or the possibility of you being, uh, is supportive, uh, is there. So, uh, this is, I think this is not insignificant. Um, you start giving someone hormones like testosterone that they have not had in their life before that um, can can also promote uh, levels of aggression and you just unnaturally start giving that to someone someone who's already confused someone who's already unstable someone who already probably has uh, issues with 
uh, the way that they were raised and, and maybe other things. And you start, you are asking for trouble when you do this. And it's a very small percentage of the population, but it is growing. And in that percentage of the population, there is, I, I know it's often brought up, it's, it's, it's trans shaming that leads to suicides, but there's another way to look at that. The suicides are because of the instability and because I'm not living, um, not finding your true self. You don't find satisfaction in that. Uh, it doesn't, uh, the promises that are made, it doesn't deliver on. So there's a lot of, um, unwellness there. Now, how, how far getting back to John Stewart a little bit, how far, where, where does the government have an interest? How far do we have to fall before the government steps in and says, that's too far. You're not with our money. You're not going to teach kids this. I mean, public schools especially would be uh, in public libraries and so forth. This is paid for by the taxpayers. You're not doing with this with our money. Would it be as far as what's happening apparently in the Netherlands? Here's a, and I, I can't play it for you. It's so bad. It is so bad. Uh, I'm going to describe it to you. I haven't watched the whole thing and I can't. I've watched enough. Children's TV in the Netherlands. Children's TV. Naked adults promoting transgenderism and sex change surgery as euphoria. I kid you not, a bunch of naked, no clothes adults standing in a studio who have undergone transgender operations, speaking to little kids, elementary school kids, about how great it was, their experience. And the kids all saying how great it is and at being interviewed afterward and saying it's just normal. Now, I think even David French, well, I think even Jon Stewart would be appalled if this kind of thing happened in his backyard. And rightly so. Maybe they won't in a few years because of the way things are going. I don't know. But I think I think now, right now in 2023, we haven't gone to that level of normal normalization. I think they'd be pretty appalled at that kind of thing that's now normalized in the Netherlands. Would Jon Stewart say the the government needs to step in? And, and and this is not right or that if this is a public or if this is paid for taxpayer money, the government can't, shouldn't allow that. He probably would. There's probably some limitations somewhere with John Stewart where he says, well, yeah, pedophilia, you know, that's that's too far or something. Uh, PBS shouldn't be broadcasting something like bestiality. Right. John Stewart would I, would I think be on board with that. Now, you could easily say to John Stewart, but no one's dying. No one died in that filming in the Netherlands. Right. And, and, and this, if you explore this, this gets to the heart of it a little bit more. John Stewart believes, as Phil Vischer does, that guns are the problem, right? That's not the Christian understanding. People are the problem. It's people with bad hearts who use these tools in an incorrect fashion. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, though, is that not everything the government does has as its purpose uh, the um, ultimate reduction in death. If that was true, John Stewart would be also pro-life, and he's not. Uh, the government has interests in other things as well, because the government is a social stability. Its purpose, as we read in Romans 13, is to punish evil. Evil threatens society. God outlines that for us in the Ten Commandments. What kinds of evil things threaten society? This is why governments... Uh, well, in, in our culture for a long time, punish things like adultery, uh, well, uh, like like cheating on on someone, fornication. These things were actually punishable offenses. Uh, not so anymore. 
Um, in fact, now we have easy ways of getting divorces and so forth that most people don't bother. But it used to be that uh, pornography was punishable. You would go to jail up until very recently uh, in many places if you possessed it. Why did the government have a stake in that? Well, th there's a few reasons for it. Uh, and, and this might not be exhaustive, but one of the reasons is that if you do not have men and women coming together in fidelity, responsibly taking care of children, your society dies. That must be guarded and protected. The other underlying assumption is that that unit I just described is the actual basic unit of society. It's not the individual. The individual is not the basic unit of society. We believe that there are individual rights, but those rights are tied to responsibilities. Guess who the responsibilities are to? Primarily to your family, and then to your church, and then to do the things that God has called you to do to your fellow man. It's the family that's the building block. It's the family where you learn all these things, that you learn to be a good citizen. Without the family, we don't have good citizens. And it, it, you can easily see it in the inner cities and places where, uh, in rural areas even, where there's been family breakdown. That's where the firearm sh uh, shootings happen. And so you want to do everything that you can, uh, that, that's w within reason, to try to uh, prevent that kind of a breakdown, that kind of devaluation of family, of fidelity, of raising children in responsible ways. Transgenderism, drag queen story hour, direct threats to that. They pose a direct threat to society. Here's the problem, though. It's indirect. It's a direct threat, but it's indirect to the point of murder which is what John Stewart wants to say. The only justifiable thing I guess the government can do is try to uh, uh, stem the, the tide of murder somehow. If, if you make that, and, and, and no of the, none of the factors that can lead to that are uh, considered, and none of the other evil things that can happen in society are viewed as evil. John Stewart fundamentally is denying that there's a pattern or a template or a... Uh, uh, a a design that the creator has set forward that we are to model our lives after our societies. We should arrange them to reflect the design of the creator. That's how everyone thought, even not some non-Christians up until very recently in Western civilization. Now we've thrown out the template. So what's left? Well, get as much pleasure as you can in this life with the government's assistance, if possible. And, and that's it. And then you die, right? That's, there's no afterlife. If that's the purpose, if that's the telos, then John Stewart's logic might start to make sense. But if the telos of society is to actually match a design that God has laid down uh, for an eternal purpose of some kind, for for there's earthly good involved in this, but there's also uh, so there's heavenly good in this, in arranging ourselves according to God's law, in supporting the institution of even the church and society, then you're going to have a much different outlook. You're going to see guns as a tool that responsible people, that model citizens that hopefully should be uh, being uh, produced through families can use to defend themselves from evil. Uh, you're going to see uh, restrictions placed on sexual anarchy to prevent people from going in these irresponsible, destructive uh, places that uh, lead to family breakdown, lead to children who then will uh, will be um damaged from that and then commit violence potentially themselves. So um, it's it, that took me longer to explain than you have usually in a soundbite. I guess if I was in the soundbite with Jon Stewart and he's trying to make that comparison, I would just say something like, you know, hold on a minute. 
uh, do you believe that uh, I'd probably throw a wrench in his gears? I'd say, do you so you do you are you making a pro-life argument? Do you think abortion should be ended or something and and just see if he's willing to be consistent? I probably do that because that's more of an offensive move. But if I was going to be defensive, I'd probably say, you know, hold on a moment. What do you think the purpose of the government is? What's their job in society? Uh, is it taking the tools out of the hands of uh, uh, people who are, would responsibly use them to defend themselves? Uh, as well as criminals, but both uh, in the event that that might reduce crime or it might reduce murder, which I don't think it will. Uh, or do you think there's a higher purpose for the government and what they do in society? It's not just about this earthly life, but about uh, conforming to an eternal pattern. Now, if he wants to throw out an eternal pattern and say, well, that's just religious, then I'd say, well, you don't have any leg to stand on anymore. You have no moral foundation by which to argue anything. Why value a person's life at all? The only reason I value it is because it's made in the image and likeness of God. That's why I value a person's life. If you throw that out, then why not? Why, why not murder? And then he'd be on the defensive. So there, you have to, there has to be a, 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 a move, a jujitsu kind of move here, which I don't think the Republican um, representative there was ready for. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> what in the world? I'm, I'm seeing some arguments happening in the chat here. Uh, and I, I am not equipped to follow all of them right now. Um, so let's, let's go on to the next thing. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, let's see what this thing that's going around Twitter trans resistance network media statement on the school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, the trans resistance network. Uh, someone sent this to me and I didn't talk about it at first because I thought this is just kind of fringy. But now that I'm seeing the same narrative is kind of making its way into mainstream. We'll talk about it. So trans resistance network, March 27, put out a statement. They said the first tragedy today is the loss of a life of three children and adults. We extend our deepest sympathies and heartfelt prayers to those families. There is nothing we can offer. Uh, let's see. The, the second and more complex tragedy is that of Aiden or Aubrey Hale, who felt he had, using his preferred pronouns, no other effective way to be seen than to lash out by taking the life of others and by consequence itself. We do not claim to know the individual or have access to their inner thoughts and feelings. We do know the life of transgender people is very difficult. So it goes on, and that's most of this, is about how horrible it is for transgender people. It is a victim switch. So the people who actually died, don't think about them. Think about the transgender person and what, what hard life he must have had. Uh, and it's a she, by the way, what uh, hard life uh, she must have had. You have um, NBC News now. Fear pervades Tennessee's trans community amid focus on Nashville shooters, gender identity. You have uh, woke preacher clips. I'll, I'll play this for you. This is Jim Wallace. Let's play this clip. And uh, then we'll talk yeah, about the it. thing is that there are real people that are being impacted. Your community is being impacted. And and I wonder if there is a way to disentangle people's sort of not understanding of trans folks. Right. I think the T is the toughest one in the alphabet <laughs> soup. Right. In the LGBTQ. The she called it alphabet soup. I just have to point that out. He gets get, right because people don't have an understanding. People, no. even if they're not mean or not angry, don't have an understanding. Is there a way to sort of disentangle people's not, lack of understanding from this? This moral panic is now getting drag shows banned, even though that isn't trans. No, no. And, <laughs> and I think children are only unsafe at drag shows when a shooter shows up to kill them. That's right. That's where the threat is. I would challenge anyone just to get to know trans people. 
We are a vibrant, diverse community, as diverse as anyone else. You know, I'm from the great state of Texas. I served in the military. I go to church every Sunday. My faith is very important to me. But God made me in her image. God made me. This is the narrative on the really hard left that he, now God's pronouns are being flipped. Uh, it, it's just the erosion of any kind of order, created order that uh, coming from God is just uh, total anarchy at this point. Um, in, in anarchy of the mind here. And um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I would never kill you. Know, look at me. I'm the representative of trans people. Now I want to skip ahead though, because what I'm interested in is more Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace, Sojourners. Uh, he founded Sojourners, one of the original kind of founding fathers of the evangelical left. And it's, it's amazing to me, the people that I've seen that have written for Jim Wallace. Um, I can't remember the individual's name now, the individual now who I talked about him a few episodes ago, who along with David French and Russell Moore is uh, crafting curriculum for churches uh, on politics. Um, oh, what was his name? Someone put it in the uh, uh, in, in this section here in the um, uh, chat and I'll, I'll it'll come to me. Uh, anyway, that person wrote for Sojourners. Um, you saw there's there's a number of people that I, I've seen. Uh, Jamar Tisby's written for Sojourners. Karen Swallow Pryor's written for Sojourners. Um, uh, another, actually, funny enough, there was a guy, <laughs> there was one of the guys at Ligonier, uh, Ligonier of all places, had uh, kind of complimented Jim Wallace. Uh, I think it was Stephen Nichols in his book, Jesus Made in America. So anyway, th there is some influence that Jim Wallace exerts. It's not much, but there is some on, and, and, and I would say it's not much directly, but indirectly, it's a lot on evangelicals. And this is what he has to say to this moment. And, and for Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace used to be against gay marriage, if you can believe it. Here's what he sounds like now. Anti-gospel, anti-Christ. And so this is a false worship we're confronting here. We've got to confront it theologically yeah. and not just politically. Amen. Politicians could do something if they wanted to. What's behind that is they are worshiping a false god, and they are literally sacrificing all our children. I'm from MSU. Yeah. When the hit, shooting hit, 50,000 kids, all the parents called. Yeah. Parents got to not just start keep calling. Parents and students have to act That's right. to change all this, and we can do it. Amen. We can do it. Amen. So it's false worship if you don't want to immediately eliminate guns. It's false worship. Uh, man. This is, you know, on what basis in scripture? How that's not a theologically coherent argument, but that's this is on MSNBC now, y'all. This is on, you know, what's considered kind of mainstream news. It's very left leaning, but you got Jim Wallace there, uh, and and they're they're trying to take the wind as much as they can out of the sails of the the arguments coming from more conservative minded Christians. So, uh, that's one of the reasons I decided to cover uh, the statement from the trans resistance. Uh, now there's another thing going around Twitter, which is there's this day of, of resistance, I guess a uh, day of, what is it? Day, day of, I don't know what, what it's called exactly a day of resistance for lack of a better term. Um, I can't actually see the original post here, but Breitbart reported on Elon Musk's Twitter restricts conservatives raising alarm about trans trans day of vengeance. It's right there in the title trans day of vengeance. So there's this trans day of vengeance. I don't know when it is. But now if you share it, you can get suspended. Marjorie Taylor Greene got suspended from Twitter for seven days because of it. Uh, you, there's a, a few others, I guess, who got uh, locked out of their accounts because of sharing this. And Twitter's trying to make it out like they just don't want to 
help violence. And so they don't want it spread, which you can understand. But the thing is, it, it was allowed to spread before conservatives got a hold of it and made an example of it. And they're not just censoring it. They're shutting down the accounts you share it. That's that's a lot different. And um, it, just another way that you can see that even uh, under Elon Musk, Twitter is even capitulating to some extent to transgender transgender lobby, for lack of a better term. Uh, we pointed out uh, in the last episode that Nate Collins, the founder of Revoice, which is supposed to be for evangelicals, uh, he said on Twitter that uh, uh, he, he was correcting someone. He said and he said the same thing that the Transgender Resistance Network said. It's it, there's a perpetrator committed unspeakable acts, but also suffered a devastating form of parental rejection. And we can't minimize that. Right. So minimizing it. Um, I pointed out that Julie Royce, uh, who writes her blog is to a lot of evangelicals, but on her blog, now she's saying she used preferred. She apologized basically for not using preferred pronouns of the shooter. And now she's saying, well, it's just because, you know, I, I use AP style, but, uh, or APA is it AP, APA, whatever. Um, the thing is though, there's like the daily wire didn't do this. Uh, you don't have to, in fact, you can, a lot of journalistic outlets don't use that particular style uh, in its in all its modern renditions. You'd have to keep up with it because it changes every year. You can actually modify uh, the way that you use that. It's not like a fixed thing. It's not there. It's just such a flimsy argument from someone who claims to be a Christian for why they must use preferred pronouns. And, and to me, someone who capitulates on this guy's it is so fundamental. I, I can't listen to anything someone like that says, like in their reporting. And like, it's like, it's just very hard for me because I'm like, you've, my eyes see this. The reality is this. God made the person that way, but you are going to apologize for the truth and then promote a lie. That's, I don't know. I don't know where you go from there. Um, James Lindsay uh, came out there. And he, this is an interesting take, um, and this is, I think, one of the last things I'm going to share with you before we get to um, uh, just some general thoughts on this whole thing. James Lindsay uh, said, he, he said, Operation Reverse, I don't want to read all of this. He basically said that there's a strategy going on to try to get a reaction to violence and to promote a narrative of transgender versus Christians. And he says, don't give them what they want and don't roll over. Say enough is enough without reacting or going identity camping. In other words, don't go and, and uh, make this an identity of transgender people versus Christians. And then he goes, Tucker Carlson pushed trans versus Christians as an unforced error. Maybe all television is not to be trusted. So maybe we shouldn't trust Tucker Carlson because he did this. Uh, and by the way, I thought Tucker's segment was great on this. Uh, that's not a good framing for this, even though it's true that Christianity is hated by the woke. That's because it's a defining pillar of the foundation of Western culture. So let me just break this down for you. It's the the woke people, which would include the transgender movement. They're opposed to Christianity, not just because of its Christianity. They're opposed to it primarily because it is a defining pillar of the foundation of Western culture. So it's Western culture that they really hate. So he, here's the, the main issue I see with this. Uh, number one, it's not true. I don't think that they, they hate Christianity. Okay. But it's, it's, he's got it flipped. They hate Christianity. They hate Western culture because Western culture uh, includes Christianity. They don't hate pagan Norse religions. They don't hate, there's a modern pagan movement in the transgender movement. 
and they take from a lot of European, so white, you know, and you could say Western, I suppose, uh, to some extent. Um, you, they're, they're inspired by people who would have been pre-Christian, pagan. Uh, it's the Christianity they really don't like and, and how that influenced Western civilization. The other thing here is you don't escape the identity camping, as he calls it. Uh, that's because it's a defining pillar of the foundation of Western culture. Well, what, what is Western culture? It, as soon as you say, I'm part of Western culture and those woke people, they're not or they're trying to rip it down or they're against it. You're, you're already creating identities right there or at least supporting identities that already exist. You're saying I'm, I'm of Western culture. So what's the difference between saying I'm of Western culture or I'm a Christian? I guess just because Western culture might include more than just Christians. Atheists can be included in that and other religions. It's more broad, supposedly. Uh, I mean, Christianity, you could say, is more broad because it cuts across. It's not just Western culture. The global South has a lot of Christians. So that argument doesn't work. And, and it doesn't get you away from the identity problem that he's claiming to, I think, solve in this. Um, I, I think it was Sam Francis who might have said that, like, all, and he was more on the right. In fact, he's kind of canceled today. I haven't read, read everything he's written, but I, I, I do remember someone sent me a quote once from him about identity politics and how that's inescapable, basically, that all politics is to some extent identity politics in some way. Now, we, we, we criticize the left's hyper focus on identity politics, their intersectionality and so forth, and their, their power structure scheme. But um, identity is a real thing. I, the, where you grew up, who you are, your lineage, your religion, your language, the foods you like to eat, the hobbies and, and activities you enjoy, the patterns of speech you have, your accent, the kinds of things you watched on television, the kind of books you consumed, all of these things, the music you like, are part of who you are. Whether you had lots of brothers and sisters, whether you only had one, that is part of who you are. It changes the way that you act. It's not determinative of everything. So there, there's, we're complex beings, but um, your identity is linked to certain things, cer certain tangible things in the real world. You can't escape it. All right. So I, I think that's, uh, I don't think Lindsay's capitulating directly to transgender stuff. He's not pro-transgender. I think though that that actually is the narrative. I think that it's taking wind out of the sails of Christians who do need to right now realize the moment that we're in and what moment are we in well catholic news agency um I, I couldn't actually because of the paywall go to the original wall street journal article but the catholic news agency reports on this wall street journal journal poll and it is it is crazy some of the things that uh i mean we are falling precipitously um there's a poll that wall street journal conducted and and uh it says a new poll of u.s residents suggests that certain values such as religiosity and having children have receded in importance over the past 25 years. When asked about certain values, whether they consider them to be very important, 39% said religion, not even 40% was very important to them. By contrast, in 1998, 62% of respondents. Wow. That is an incredible change. From 1998, I remember 1998, 62% <laughs> of respondents, religion is important, is very important. Now it's 39%. Faith was one of several indicators of more traditional values that the survey showed are less important to Americans. Only 30% of 2023 respondents overall said having children was very important to them, compared with 59% in 98 and 43% in 2019. In a span of five years or uh, four years, it's gone from 43% to 30%. 
having children is less and less of a priority. We're becoming Europe. In another notable drop, 38% in 2023 said patriotism is very important compared with 70% in 1998 and 61% in 2019. That's insane. Only 43% said marriage is very important. This question was not on the 2019 and 1998 surveys. The only value that increased in importance is respondents' minds about money, which increased from 31% to 43% over the time period. Great. So we have a population of people, according to the Wall Street Journal, that's more greedy, values marriage less, values patriotism less. Um, and uh, th that's just going to lead to all kinds of great things, I I'm sure, as the years unfold. Well, I wanted to land on a, on a good note since this has been mostly negative. I, I, I didn't download this video, so I can't really show it to you, unfortunately, uh, with sound. Uh, but this is... Uh, I'll just describe what's happening here. Uh, Representative Jamal Bowman in uh, Congress is in, in one of the halls there in the Capitol, and he is just over the top about guns, and we need to do something about guns. And Republican representative from Ohio, Thomas Massey, comes in, sees him, and starts engaging with him. And 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 you can see here, and, and he's being, uh, he's, he's uh, you know, pointing his finger, He's, but he's not, he's way less, he's way toned down compared to Representative Bowman. And at one point in this exchange, he actually smiles when Bowman is just getting so ridiculous and so over the top. And, and you can see Massey's actually almost having a good time with it. He is, he, so, so he is not backing away from the truth. Uh, he, and his whole thing is that he thinks that we should have, schools should have guards. They should have arms. They should have the protection that Congress has, I guess, basically. So, so he thinks that's the solution, not taking all guns away from people who need them to protect themselves. And at, at a certain point, he does this move that I thought this is just brilliant. Uh, people are, have their cell phones out. They're all looking at it. And he, this is where he's smiling. He just smiles. He's like, you know, this guy's gotten so ridiculous. Jamal Bowman, he's only, only interrupting and shouting. That's all he's doing. And so finally, Thomas Matzi says, basically, forget it. And he walks over to the people who are standing there. And, and you can see uh, Jamal Bowman doesn't like it. He's he's now he's looking desperate because he's now saying, hey, pay attention to me. And Thomas Massey got all the cameras on him from using Bowman for the controversy. And then and Bowman is looking like a real uh, jerk here. And, and Massey is having a good time. He's uh, telling the truth. It's so this is I just thought when I saw this, this is the way to handle it. This is the way to do it. Uh, he is. And this is the way Chris, I don't know if Thomas Massey is a Christian uh, or not, but this is the way that we need to be. There's a cheerful warrior thing that and, and I don't have it all the time. I'm, I'm not saying I, uh, you know, figured this out. Uh, and there's a time to be angry. I think you do need to be somewhat angry. I think that's one of the advantages uh, John Stewart had. He's angry about the deaths. And as Republicans, um, uh, in this case, Thomas Massey is a Republican. Uh, and if you have a set of policies that will help correct an issue, then I think you can be angry about the issue and say, but my policies, these are these are better to correct the issue, not the policies of the Democratic Party, because they want to make out like theirs is the only policy. You either ban guns or you uh, or, or you have school shootings. So only to, it's binary when it's not. You, you could have actually more guns, arm the teachers, uh, have uh, school security, uh, and, and that will uh, be a deterrent. They, the only reason or one of the main reasons that the uh, shooting happened at that particular school was because it was a soft target. So uh, that's what I wanted to land the plane on. We got to figure out a way to be cheerful warriors 
Um, oh, I'm sorry, everyone. You got to see Jim Wallace during this entire time as I'm <laughs> discussing. I'm I'm just I'm I'm thinking everyone is seeing what I'm seeing with Thomas Massey here. And uh, show us, please. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, well, I'll play it as I'm closing the show here. You can see here's Thomas Massey. And uh, and and here he is uh, arguing with Jamal or uh, yeah Jamal Bowman. Um, but yeah, so you got to see Jim Wallace's beautiful face <laughs> as I went over the Wall Street Journal poll and James Lindsay and Julie Royce and Nate Collins and all Elon. Sorry about that. Uh, hope you enjoyed seeing uh, seeing Jim Wallace's face for that time. So th this is what I'm talking about with uh, you can go look it up, though, if anyone's interested. Um, bottom line here is we are in a transition period, y'all. We are going from Christian society, society that not everyone was converted, but they respected Christian values to pagan society at warp speed. And for the last three or four generations, at least, we've had a uh, up until Gen Z, there has been, uh, I think, this sort of neutral ground that we think we're standing on, where we have the inertia of these Christian values and we thought that they would just stay in place and they're not staying in place. And now people don't know what to do with that. How do you? Uh, is it Christian nationalism? If it's not Christian nationalism, what do we do? What do how do we uh, say, have a thus saith the Lord, have a, a, a concrete objective standard? And I would suggest that we need, we need to have a concrete objective standard. It's in the word of God. We need to uh, promote uh, the biblical teaching. It doesn't mean that that's not applied in differently in different cultures. So we have traditions as well that help with this, but we are in a situation where we must not back away. We must be cheerful warriors, but we must also be angry righteously at the things that are evil. And we must not give in to the left's demands that their solutions are the only solutions. I see very few Christians being able to, to walk this line, to, to navigate this well. Um, oftentimes it, it's either it, it's too, the, the anger is just too, too up there. And the cheerfulness isn't there. The, you know, we, we are confident in the future. We know eternity secure or it's way too much head in the sand or, or just ignoring the problems that actually exist. The church is under attack. And I'm not saying just, you know, physically because of a shooting, I'm saying in general, Christians and their beliefs, as I just demonstrated with some of these headlines, they are not just under the microscope, they're under attack. They're unacceptable to the elites. And so we're, we have to come to terms with the fact that we live in a world like that. And it, the question is, do we try to, in our local areas, do we return to a Christian default setting or do we try to maintain some kind of a neutrality that was a, the principle pluralism was at best a temporary state of affairs. It, it could not last. It, it's not, it, it's, there's no principles involved, unfortunately. The principles uh, are just hanging loosely out there uh, without anything to ground them in. So, uh, that that is my um, uh, that is my podcast for today. Uh, lots of comments coming in. Uh, we <laughs> waiting for Donald Trumpers to riot and loot next. Well, wasn't that January sixth? Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, that's the best example that that they can pull uh, from from that side of things. Uh, Massey is from Kentucky, apparently. I thought I said he was from Ohio. I thought he was from Ohio. I guess he's from Kentucky. I should know that, right? With with all the the Ridge Runner stuff that I've been talking about. And speaking of Ridge Runner, um, I do want to just close the show with letting you know about Ridge Runner. In case uh, for those of you who don't know about Ridge Runner, uh, this is uh, RidgeRunnerUSA.com is a um, uh, a set of properties 
in Kentucky. So I guess that's where Thomas Massey is. Uh, and, and, and it's an opportunity and it may look different for different people, but, uh, I have a good friend, uh, Josh Abitoy, who is, um, uh, making this land available at a very cheap price. And, uh, and you can inquire at ridgerunnerusa.com and, um, and, and some of these properties are just very beautiful. This is near Burksville, Kentucky. And I, I know some are looking to get away if they're in a high crime area, if they're in an inner city, where, where can we go? Um, and, and, and this is one of the places that you can go. And, and they're trying purposely to attract Christians by advertising on podcasts like this one. Uh, you can see here's, here's one uh, long hollow acres, um, just beautiful farm country, trees, fields. You can grow things, you can hunt, you can fish. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what you know, life could look like, I suppose. And it's in a more rural area. And for some of you, that might make sense. Maybe that's something you can do if you work from home. If you have kids, that might be a good option. Uh, some of you, this might be an investment that you want to make. But either way, check it out, RidgerunnerUSA.com. And then what, when you uh, contact them, when you schedule a call and contact them, let them know you heard about it on the Conversations That Matter podcast, and it would just help me out. So uh, appreciate it, y'all. Um, I, I hope that helps some of you. Uh, and... Uh, more coming later in the week. Had a great discussion this morning with an expert on the Enneagram. So we're going to talk about that more next week. Tomorrow, I have a video. I was going to release it today, but I just had to talk about this. So um, tomorrow, there's going to be a video on women's ministries and the IF gathering in particular. And Melissa Lex was kind to join us uh, on that. And so, um, so anyway, uh, God bless. More coming. Bye now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.